our next episode of True Crime, Fashion and Passion is all about true crime. And this story is full of crime. Our designer, Ananjan, is really the antithesis of the late 90s, early 2000s. He was on the scene. He was the MySpace guy. He was recruiting his models for fashion shows through MySpace and Craigslist and all kinds of sordid arenas, but it was the place to be. He was the designer to Janet Jackson and Michelle Rodriguez from Fast and Furious and Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie. They were always at all his shows. They were just devoted fans, and he was the center of the party. He knew how to make you feel welcome, and he knew how to make you feel fabulous. Unfortunately, he was making a lot of young, innocent girls feel fabulous, and that he shouldn't have been doing. Ananjan ended up being charged with 49 counts of sexual offenses and ended up with, well, you'll have to listen to find out how many years Ananjan got and who his in-jail roommates ended up being. This is a really, really twisted story with multiple layers. There were candlelight vigils and victim shaming. This is a story that was absolutely on all the headlines of all the tabloids and, and newspapers everywhere. People were gagging at this story. I hope you'll love all the details and you'll become obsessed to know more about Ananjan. Thank God for fashion. I think there's so much crime in fashion because people are drawn to fashion. I got into the business of fashion to tell stories. Flashes all around. Top model Gia got it all, all at once. At the end of the day, it's the comeuppance. The runway cat smile. We have very eclectic personalities. I'm here with Philip Blosh. My fabulous co-host, Pat Cleveland. Biggest crime in fashion has been the death of Versace. Shortly before 9 a.m., fashion designer Gianni Versace was shot on the steps of his villa. And now I get to tell the stories of people I love in fashion. When people are caught and they have to pay for their crimes. Found yesterday in the Seine River in Paris. How did she die? Katusha Neon. Sylvie Cachet was on top of the world. Her body found in an overflowing bathtub. You're listening to True Crime, Fashion and Passion with your host, Philip Locke. Hey, my name is Philip Locke, and you are joining me with True Crime, Fashion and Passion. Today, we're going to talk about the fickle business of fashion and fate and fame. I think everybody thinks the fashion world is going to make them a big star, and some are just so hungry for it, they'll do anything. Today joining me is my special co-host, the amazing, the talented, the beautiful, and the extremely chatty and clever, Carol Alt. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God, chatty and clever. (laughs) Philip, this is a very, very interesting story. It, It actually is a story without an end. Because there's an appeal pending. So I think we get right into this because, like I said, it has no end at the moment. So I chose in this case. So so we're talking about a designer named Ananjan. And Ananjan was born in designer. Exactly. He was born in Karada, India, November 28th, 1973. Mm -hmm. He's Jewish and Catholic Christian background, which is very Very unique. Very unique for someone coming from from India. India. Yeah, it's just not the usual. You know, we've actually, Pat and I interviewed a a designer for our segment called uh, uh, Naeem Khan, who I know you know. So it's so interesting the difference between the two designers and the two personalities. And, and of course, no two people from any country are the same. No two people are the same, period. Well, but, but Anand, he won a scholarship at 16 years old. So absolutely. he was thrown into this very, very young. He he went to Parsons School of Design. Yeah, he won, a, he won the scholarship for Fort Lauderdale, which I didn't even really know they had a design program. But very interesting, he comes from a very, very well-off family. And and it's interesting, I didn't talk about the victims here because there are so many. There are so many victims here. Alleged victims. Alleged victims. Well, and there are victims. He is convicted. In the end, you will find he is convicted. There is a lot of victims here and, and um, people with, with... But isn't he appealing? He is appealing, and it's this is a long it's story. It's confused, yeah. You know, after completing his time at, at Fort Lauderdale, he moved to New York. He transitioned his interest into fine art and fashion, graduating from Parsons, the new school of design, which is... You know, Parsons is an incredible design school. I mean, that is – there's FIT and Parsons. They're really the two biggest schools to go to. You know, if you have RISD in Rhode Island. But if you want to be a fashion designer, you want to go to either St. Martin's in London or you want to go to Parsons or 
F-I-T. Pratt is also another big school, but Parsons and St. St. Martin's are really the school. I, I went to FIT. I didn't end up going to Parsons. I felt like FIT just relate. I related to it because of Long Island. It felt like, I don't know. I felt like- Well, what's the difference between the two? You know, obviously they change over the decades, but I, I think Parsons is more, Parsons has probably, I think, become more the school to go to. I think FIT was more at my time when I went in the, <laughs> in 19, um, once you say the 19, you've already given away. In the 90s, Zach Posen went to FIT, Michael Kors went to FIT, Ralph Rucci went to FIT. Those were all my boys. Isaac Mizrahi, we all went to FIT. So, you know, Parsons yeah, was Zang not Zang Toy went prestige. to Parsons and he's a great designer. So, Absolutely. I mean, well, he was were... maybe a little younger than us by a year or two, but you know. They were, they were spitting it out yeah, in the direction. Either, either yeah. way, but so to go to Parsons, was was big for him. Like that was really a, yes. a great step in the right direction. So he, he went from India to Fort Lauderdale in Florida yeah. to the Fort Lauderdale Design School, and then yeah. he came up to Parsons. And that's he, quite a, a road already. And he was 16 when he went to Fort Lauderdale in Florida. Well, and he started working with Tim Gunn, and he interned at Donna Karen. You know, he met he Tim Gunn because time. Tim was at Parsons, I believe, and so he mentored him. And Donna Karen, he went and interned at Donna Karen. And you know, Donna Karen is legendary. To get to work with Donna Karen, you learn the business. You learn to drape. And it's a very familial company. You know, there's a lot of people that it's just a business. But this is like a family. Like, people that work at Donna work there a very, very long time. All her team Yeah, but you got to love years. Donna. I mean, it, it's, it comes from the top down. Absolutely. Absolutely. She's a mother. She's a, she's a zen. You know, yes. she's, as, she's as crazy as she is. She's zen also. So... I, I think amazingly that, creative and very supportive. Absolutely, and, and I think that that was a big part of for for Anan is is Donna's support, and and I think he learned a lot there. As, as so, what years would. was he with Donna Karen? Again, I'm not really sure, but I think it was around '98, probably late late '90s, late '90s, mid to late '90s. Because then in 1999, he started his own line. Absolutely, uh, launched his first fashion line, Amazon, under the moniker Anand John. You know, he was definitely one of those people. I, I know Anand very name, very well. Anand John. Anand John. I know Anand very very well. I went to all his fashion shows. I spent a lot of time with his family and his sister. And it's so fascinating in these last few years with all the whole Me Too movement and all these cases coming up. You just don't know how much time you're spending with alleged rapists. I mean, Harvey Weinstein. I, 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 you know, there's just so many men that I knew in those times that now have lost their jobs, lost their careers, lost their life, and on. And you just don't know what they're doing behind the scenes. You smile for the cameras. You take the pictures. Everyone says, I love you. You're fabulous. You kiss on two cheeks. You go to dinner. You chitty chat and you gossip and you love what you're doing and you're here with all the fabulous people and you just don't know the dark, deep secrets they have behind them. You know what's so funny is that you and I had completely different careers. Yes. In the 80s <laughs> and 90s, I was literally working every single day, nights, weekends. I was working 18 hours a day on the set, never went to dinner. I never created any relationships. It took coming back to New York in 2001 yeah. for me to start getting relationships back in the business. It was something I I really missed in my career because I think this this career is all about relationships. And the people. The and the people. people. You had a great career because you had great amounts of of relationships and Absolutely. people that you knew and, and that you hung with. and you. I and was the center. I was literally the Forrest Gump of fashion. You know, everything revolved around me, and I don't, I don't mean it in an egotistical way. It was just that's the way it was. I was in the center of Hollywood. I was working with the hottest celebrities. I, everybody that I wasn't working with, I was friends with or wanted Even to I be my you. friend. There, and I, and I was off doing movies exactly. around the world, and exactly. I knew who you were. But I was on TV everywhere, and I was, I was living this glamorous life, and everywhere I went... I was the spokesperson for New York Fashion Week and Hollywood Fashion and all the cameras, the Elsa Clenches and the Jeannie Beckers and the, you know, they were all interviewing me. And then I was doing my own shows talking about fashion. So it was really interesting to be in New York in the 90s. You know, when, when I first kind of got into this world and started going to the fashion shows in New York, I didn't realize it had only been a few weeks, uh, a few years before I got here that 7th on 6th even started. You know, well, they... let me talk to you about that because in the 80s when yeah. I first started, I actually did fashion shows only because the agency told me that I was overexposed. Wow. So they asked me, you know, they said, well, you have to take time off. And I'm like, what do you mean time off? I, I've been <laughs> a 19, 20, 21-year-old kid. Yeah. I've been working every single day as a model. Now I'm overexposed. You tell me, take time off. I had no hobbies. So they said, well, let's talk to Calvin and, and Ralph and, and I mean, uh, yeah. 
Polo, Ralph Lauren, and and see if they will let you walk. And are you okay with like seven hundred dollars? Can you and, walk? <laughs> yeah. Did you take walking classes? So that was kind of like the beginning because before that, the it was Seventh Avenue girls that yeah, were showroom absolutely. models that did all the shows because it was yeah. only for the buyers. And the shows it, were very small. They were in the right studios, in the atelier. In the ateliers, right. exactly. They were at five fifty Seventh Avenue. Right. Well, we in the right in the showroom. Yes, absolutely. So by mid nineties, there was starting to be a lot of trouble with oh, that. Oh, this was something that just blew up in the nineties. By the time I was in the nineties, they were offering me fifty thousand dollars a show. Yeah, yeah. To walk, just, and I couldn't walk because I was doing movies. Well, because busy. Linda, Linda and Christy yeah. didn't get up for less than ten thousand dollars a day. So they said yes. So I get up for ten thousand, but you want me to walk? That's going to be an extra forty. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So the crazy thing was is that it went from this very small in-house thing that only the the fashion girls on Fashion Avenue did and then suddenly it just blew up to where you had celebrities because and- I came because <laughs> I came not because of me but I was that yeah. I was the the person that represented that so I started bringing people like Selma Hayek to fashion yes, shows yes but Versace started actually walking all the top girls yeah. he was well, very instrumental that was in Milan this. though so that's a whole nother scene Europe was ahead their fashion shows had been they going on. They had forward, big yeah. fashion shows for years. That was the 80s. I remember going to the fashion shows in the 80s. Me and too. seeing Pat Cleveland and Iman coming out in capes and hats and spinning. And you would just see this whirling dervishes of fashion. It was just Montana Mugler. It was the show in fashion show. Yes. New York was never that. Never so that we had way. The it was much more period. subdued. In the 80s, by 90s. And so Anand was kind of part of this next The second coming. wave. Yeah. The second wave. So you had Donna, Calvin, Ralph. Carolina Herrera, um, you know, all Oscar de la Renta, you know, those were the big names. Mark, Mark was kind of just starting. He was the youngest of the of the big names. Right. Anna Sui, and Betsy Zach Johnson, yeah. Zach Posen. Well, Zach is part of the Anna and John. He was the second wave. He was the second wave also. And so there was never TV covering it, really. There was Elsa Clench, but suddenly TV happened. E-TV happened, and that's where I came in. I was on E. I was on MTV House of Style, VH1, E, all at the same time. I started at House of Style. It was originally called Fashion Avenue. Exactly. And then right? I was doing movies, and they... Changed the whole thing up, and Jane Cindy Pitt- came in. Yeah, Jane Pittman went to her husband, said, "Can we put this on MTV?" He was like, "Yeah, why not? We're looking for programming." Exactly. Cindy who, who came in, ran Jane Magazine right. at one point. So it's all kind of it's, connected it's in those all days. All connected, yes. But you have to you have to show the the era of of this so that you understand what's what was happening going on. In Absolutely, this, story. This, this is what was surrounding. This story, this, and that's why it's worth going into that because so by mid nineties, the end of the nineties. New York is exploding. Paris Hilton's coming onto the scene. Michelle Rodriguez, Ivanka yes. Trump is modeling. And Adnan John is really responsible for one of the people putting those girls on the map. They would be front and center. They'd be wearing his clothes. They'd be giggling and partying and posing. And some of them walking the shows. I walking the shows, absolutely. Paris Hilton walking a show and the tent collapsed in with the rain. Oh my gosh. And and she ended up not walking. And I mean, this yeah, was Yeah, there bad. was a lot of those tents. It, yeah, it was over at Bryant Park. Bryant Park had the oh tents. Oh my God, those tents. So we went from 6th on 7th yeah. and then we went to Bryant Park where we had the tents yeah. lined up in the park right by the library. Yeah. And then it moved from there. So Mercedes Fashion Week moved to Lincoln Lincoln Center. Center. And then after Lincoln Center, kind of, it it wasn't centralized anymore. Well, then... then It was kind of, there was uh, over down by... um, Well... Washington Square, and it, it just dispersed. But during this time, this was... Let me, let me just say one thing. Yeah, here. go ahead. Sorry. Um, after Lincoln Center, IMG got involved, and that just shifted everything. Again, big business came in, big commerce, let's make money. And by this point, and, and John's career is like, he's huge. He's the, the designer to watch. And IMG comes in, and they're making money. So they moved it to Lincoln Center, and all the real diehard fashionistas I hate it. I want to go back to Bryant Park. I was like, what's so great about Bryant Park? Bryant Park was like a fishbowl. It was like you'd come out and there would be people everywhere just on the streets and mobs. But people like that. You know, they wanted that that paparazzi moment. I loved it when it got to Lincoln Center. It seemed a little more private. You were off the streets. It was brutal to come out of a fashion show at, at Bryant Park. 
It was just so much traffic and so much paparazzi. I loved and just it. People, people, loved people, it. people. It was so much. That's when I came back to New York. So that for me was, this was all New York. It's so funny. I was I was glad to be out of there. But That's but the, so funny. See, like I said, we have different points of yeah, view. Yeah, because by, by time I was just like, oh, can we get out of these tents? The water was leaking in the tent. Yeah, at least like, you were doing that in flats. I was in exactly. summer, summer clothes in the winter and winter clothes in the summer shows. And, and I think to say, you know. It was work for me. I it mean, was I was going to a too. lot of shows all day long. I was doing interviews. I, I was would be changing and, because I had to wear the clothes from the different designers who had invited me. I had to do oh, hair, yeah. and, hair yeah, were, and makeup. You, were, you would have a car sitting outside so you could just go in and change. You would literally, and then one designer was paying one car and another designer paying another car. So you'd literally have to have your outfit sitting in the car so you could run outside and change to go into the next designer thing. There was nowhere to go change. There was nowhere to change. They didn't think of the celebrities in that way or the people that were invited to several different shows. It was definitely, definitely work. And, you know, you I was coming up from way downtown. So for me, it was, yeah. you know, a long trip uptown. But to get there and to see the shows and to see everybody, it was almost like, Let's face it, we work in studios. Yeah. And we work day to day with people in a studio. So it's kind of in a little bubble. Each day it's your own little bubble. So this was a moment where you got to see big groups of people. We worked and, in and little we worked in little creative bubbles. Right. And then this was like an explosion of right. you got fashion to say bubbles. hello was, to everybody. And since I was doing movies, this was even like a homecoming for me. But it was like an overdose at the same time. I mean, I used to love to go to Anna and John's show. I mean, everybody would be there. There'd be Ivana Trump sitting in the front row uh, cheering her daughter on and just, you know, celebrity, celebrity, fashion photographers, everybody you loved and you'd get to gossip and talk and just tell stories right. and, learn, run and learn about everybody, everybody else. Yes, you anyway, catch up. We have Absolutely. so much to say. Let's keep yes. going. Um, so he launched his line. He went on to, you know, just he was in, endorsed by, you know, his success part of the fashion friend for Johnny Versace was a big friend of his. Wasn't that he was sponsored a, by Giorgio Armani as well? I mean, he had yeah, some absolutely. major backing. Absolutely. He was definitely the it boy. He had a lot going on. He had a denim design company. He had the uh, the jeans, the jeans, uh, Genesis, fa- fashion, uh, Genesis fashion, right? Absolutely. Or should I say gene assist fashion? Exactly. That, that's <laughs> actually, I think, what he was going for. And it, and uh, then he had Kama Sutra. His, you know, his At the atomized collection. His Kama Sutra Indro Chic fusions. And it was true. He brought kind of that whole Middle Eastern and Eastern kind of influence to to fashion. He brought a fusion that we hadn't really seen before in American But designers. amazingly, in the time that all of this was exploding... Anon was exploding as well. Absolutely. He was sexy. He had this long, dark hair. He was so sweet and fun. And honestly, he was a kiss-ass. He was just so wanted to be famous. He so wanted to be part of the fabulous well, he life. The he created it. And and that was kind of his motto was like, I'm going to get all these young celebrities, Michelle Rodriguez and Nicole Richie and Paris and Nikki, and I'm going to put them in my clothes and I'm going to take pictures with them. And he created the the life that supported the the industry and the press like like Versace, very very similar. He saw what the people before him did, right. the Tom he, Fords. He, he the, actually he actually names Versace as one of his influences. Absolutely, because he saw what they did, and that was he said, "Oh, I'm going to create this lifestyle." And, and again, it goes to that thing of like, who's in it for the money, who's in it for the fame, and who's in it because they love clothes. Like someone like a Ralph Rucci. They love clothes. Zang is really one of those designers. He loves the lifestyle. A definite architect. Absolutely. There are some designers who are just architects. Absolutely. But he loves the lifestyle. He loves, he loves his Whoopi in the front row and Ivanka. And, you know, you still go to Zang's show and, and Ivanka's there or Ivana. And uh, the mom and mom, Ivana will be there. Whoopi Goldberg will be front row. It's it's very interesting. He loves his society ladies. Yes, he does. As one does Marla, in New York. Marla Maples is there. At, well, that was someone who started with uh, Anand John. He was, she was always at his shows. Again, uh, um, Tiffany would be at the shows with her mom. You know, I mean, it was very interesting. And again, the Trump family was different in those times. You know, Donald was always Donald, but the women in his life were fun and they were popular and everybody wanted to be around them and not really because of Donald, but because of them. And obviously the money and the name and the the fame. But once once the divorce happened with Ivana, people kind of knew that Donald was Donald and and she had a lot of troubles, but we that's a whole nother story. We'll save that for another day. 
Um, so in any case, you know, at, at, at 29, Adnan was, he was a, a rarity in our business. He was dressing Mary J. Blige. He was dressing, you know, Michelle Rodriguez. He was dressing Janet Jackson. I mean, he was fashion royalty and he was dressing Hollywood royalty and pop culture royalty. He really is sort of where pop culture started to take over. But but pre-Instagram, pre-Twitter. Right. But he was this. He was very commercially successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. But as you said, he was very, he was, uh, he had a sense of mystery about him and a, a, a bit of a sex appeal with his long dark hair so i mean he was just as sexy as his clothes were and he was a kiss ass and i don't say it in a bad way i mean he really he knew how to greet you and when you came so you say that in a, in a good way is what you're saying yes i'm saying it in a good way like Actually, he i didn't knew, know him so this he was knew not my time how in to New York. you know make you feel mm-hmm. important he be, a lot of listen a lot of people knew this trick donald knew this trip. Diddy know this knows this trick because Diddy had Sean John at the time and though that was the show to go to. Kimora Lee Simmons, you know, uh, baby, baby fat, fat, that was the show to go to. Kimora, one of our favorite models. Luca and- Luca. Luca Luca. Was like a circus. The same thing. Well that's the first time I met Melania was at Luca Luca, funny enough. And and they knew how to make the fabulous people feel fabulous so that you wanted to go to their show yes. and they were they were guilty they were of the being show fabulous. To go to. They were guilty of being fabulous by association. And that's the important part of this kind of story. Being guilty by association of being fabulous. And and I think that all he was the poster child for that and it and it caught up to him. Things started to go really bad. By 2007, he was featured in Newsweek as one of the hottest new designers in New York. He wasn't so new by 1997. By 2007, he wasn't so right, new. He'd been around about 10 years with his own line, yeah, 10 or 11 it's funny, years. Yeah. It's funny what people call new. If you're a Overnight model, success, if you're course. a model 10 years into your career, oh, you're, she's you're almost old. done. Yeah. yeah. But as a designer, you're new. And, and we've seen this in other interviews we did with Pat, like one of the designers saying, like, here I am, the king of New York Fashion Week. 10 years into my career, and I already had assisted people for how many years? It's very funny. As a designer, it takes a long time to get known. But Anand found the secret in how to get there. His career was skyrocketing. Even at a, he was uh, appearing on Next Top Model, like he was a judge, which, you know, all of us in the industry at that point were doing that. I had my go there. Um, as well as Miss J and J. Manuel. All our friends were on that show. Andre Leontali, may he rest in peace. Andre was part of the show. Kelly Catrone. I mean, all the New York... Fab people were part of America's Next Top Model. And Anand was even filming his own reality show. And the funny thing about that is that never went anywhere. Like how many reality shows? Yeah, I guess, right? Once you know, they start filming, it's a different story. Yeah, well, they started filming a show, but it never went anywhere. It didn't get anywhere. And despite that success, he was known for being a party boy. And his designs really pushed the envelope. I mean, he was definitely doing sexy clothes, again, a la Versace. And putting them on on young girls. Young girls. And so this is where the problem begins. Okay. You know, Anand was one of those guys that was using his fame. You know, he was on MySpace. Anybody remember that? Wow, MySpace. (laughs) Yeah, he was on MySpace luring young girls like, hey, I'm a designer. Do you want to come do my fashion show? I mean. Everybody wanted to walk a fashion show. Absolutely. And, you know, he brought the the casting couch to the catwalk. So instead of you want to come be in my movie, you want to come be in my fashion show. It was, you know, when fashion became fabulous and he was luring these young girls. He had lots of young girls working for him. It was really funny. He says, you know, yes, everything I did. So he ends up being charged with 49 counts of like rape and sexual harassment and 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 just all kinds of sexual related case charges, 49 charges. And this goes from California, New York and Texas. He was importing them and exporting them. And, you know, he had a lot of young girls working for him. What I find fascinating is his family has really stuck by him through this case. They have been very supportive of him. They really have been fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting for him. Talk about a family's love. They have really done everything they can to support him. They they maintain his innocence. It's really interesting because this is somebody who was surrounded by his family, and yet all this was going on. You just never know what anyone else is doing. I don't think I ever saw Anand without his sister. His sister was so lovely. And again, talk about ingratiating and just really made you feel fabulous when you came. Like, oh my gosh, we are so honored that you're here. You oh, know? That's beautiful, yeah. It was, it was beautiful. You really felt like appreciated. And, and honestly, I didn't love the clothes a lot of the times, but I went because I felt like I was supporting somebody unique. I felt I was supporting diversity in the time, which, 
let's face it, there was not a lot of diversity. It was a lot of white Jewish designers, really, at the end of the day, you know, or, or white designers, other than Oscar de la Renta and Carolina, but they were very in the white society world, although they were Hispanic heritage, you know, Carolina being South American and Oscar being Dominican, the reality was Calvin Klein, Donna Karen, Anne Klein, Ralph Lauren, Ralph Lipschitz, Lipschitz. Ralph Lipschitz, Tommy Hilfiger, Betsy Johnson, they were all white designers. And Anne was really groundbreaking in his being able to, to make it as someone ethnic, someone from another country. And, and, that really was interesting. I, I personally went a lot of times to support that and to support someone young. And, hey, I wanted to be where it was cool and fun and happening and have a good time because it was always a great dinner afterwards. It was always a great backstage scene. And unfortunately, a lot of young, innocent girls got caught up in that melee of, of Well, the modeling is caught. a young industry back Absolutely. then, especially. Not, not now so much, but back then, they were always looking for that new young face to come in. So a lot of the girls were young. I remember a, a New York Magazine cover with Lizanne Falk and, and a couple of other girls. They were 13 years old. They looked like they were 30. They remember were that? The up. pretty yeah. baby syndrome. Yeah. Well, that started with Brooke, but how many of those girls at that point? I think that was even, was that 80s or 90s when that was 13? That was 80s, because that's when yeah. I first started. I thought, yeah. oh my gosh, at 18, I'm old already. By by 19, we had moved more into the anorexia stage, and I, I don't mean this No, but the girls were still very young. Very young, but, but anorexia was a big thing. It was more, the girls, they stopped the 13-year-olds by that point. There was Garen. Garen was really young, a young girl that was really involved. But even Anand says, everything I did was legal. Everybody was uh, was of age. Well, there was one girl that was 17, but she lied about her age. <laughs> there was one girl, 17, she lied. So suddenly that wasn't his fault. It's, it's just kind of interesting. These girls, even though someone's of age, does not mean they understand what's going on. They're innocent. They're young. They want to be part of this fame world. We see it time and time again. Everybody wants a little bite of the Big Apple and fame. I remember the best thing my agency ever said to me was, anybody who wants to hire you, because they'll come up to you on the street and they'll tell you they're going to make you a star. Anybody wants to hire you, if they're legit, they'll call us when you say, call my agency. Thank you. So just tell them to call the agency. Don't go to anybody. I, I have to say that that has probably saved me more times than not. Absolutely. And this is part of the whole internet problem of like, MySpace and Craigslist. Craigslist, like, yeah. Who's who legitimately is looking for a model on MySpace or Craigslist? When they can call an agency. When you can call an agency, and that's the problem of now, unfortunately. And get registered, yeah. That there, there was some. If it a, came from Ford, if it came from Wilhelmina, right? There's some Elite, ability Zoli. to control who was in the industry, exactly. and, and who was calling for girls. They, the, all these agencies knew their clients. And again, the industry was smaller. It wasn't this globalization, the democratization of fashion, and that's where it all started. I, I, I coined that term, democratization of fashion, because it started to become this whole big globalization. The world got smaller, and the internet was just coming around. And it wasn't still out there really and until the J-Lo until the J-Lo Versace dress that really was the first thing to break the internet that really changed everything but but it was starting then it was starting to become different it wasn't the old stuffy Edie Locks and Grace Mirabella things had changed it was a much Jade Hops and it was a much bigger community and and the youngins like us I was the young whippersnapper coming in I remember people saying to me like who are you and why do you always have a TV crew following you I'm like I'm Philip, and I work in Hollywood, and I don't know either. <laughs> you know, like, people are interested in what we're doing. And people were interested in Anand. They wanted to hang out with him. They wanted to be with him. And this is something interesting. This is where victim shaming came in. And now we have so much with the internet, you know, we talk about victim shaming. This was really one of those cases. He and his sister set out in a really, to assert his innocence, he and his sister organized a ruthless campaign to discredit the models using orders to attack their reputations and virtue, which was really So what nasty. did they do? How did they do that? They tried to say that the girls were asking for it and they were willing participants. This was back in the day where you actually had to be accountable. When you went to the after party and you drank and you did the drugs, you actually had to be, you, you, you said, oh, well, I went to the after party and I did the drugs and I was there. I was there for it. I just didn't know it was going to go this way. Now, suddenly, there's almost not an accountability for going. You went, but they shouldn't have done it to you. You know, things have really, the, the paradigm has changed, and I think that's really important because 
people don't necessarily know there are predators. And, and I never knew the word predator. And I think a lot of us in the business, our, our friend Carrie talks about it, you know. Carrie Otis. Carrie Otis. Predators. Beverly talks about Beverly Johnson. Beverly Johnson. So many of the girls, Karen Elson, a lot of the girls have supported, you know, Carrie's organization to support the models. And, and there is a difference between having a good time and a predator that sets you up. And Adnan was a predator. Whether he wants to admit it or he saw himself as that, he was a predator. Harvey Weinstein, whether he admits it or understands that he was a predator, he was just someone that's saying, well, if you want a job, you're going to have to suck my dick. and Or I'm going to jerk off in front of you. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, wow, what do you think? And you don't think that's a little weird, Harvey. You know, I mean, people had a different mentality in these times. And now, thank God, we see that it's now victim shaming. You, you you can have something happen to you. And yes, you shouldn't have gone to the party. And your mother told you nothing good happens after, after 1 a.m. <laughs> uh, don't leave your friends and don't trust people. And, you know, don't trust anybody. Don't go to a stranger's apartment. I don't know how many times I went to a stranger's apartment and things happened that probably shouldn't have happened. And many of them I don't remember. Thank God. But I hid things in my subconscious as Carrie and I, Carrie Otis and I have talked about many times. We hide these things from ourselves. We don't admit them. We just block it out. And a lot of it is the drugs. A lot of it is, you know, Anam was drugging, allegedly drugging and, and, and giving girls alcohol. Now, again, he says they were all of age. And, you know, the girls were supposedly all had different stories from all over the country. And yet the, the MO was the same. He hit me up on MySpace. He offered me to be a model. He offered me a job to come work for him. The stories were very similar, except the end was what it similar also. And I think that now we live in a time that the predator is accountable. And 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 the girls are wiser. You should, I, I believe now you're, you even have more opportunity to be wiser. You should definitely... Well, no. I think there's a lot more information out there about this now that, there, you know, the, you could go online and you could see these things. I think young girls know a little bit more yes. than we knew back at that age because they have the Internet. They have the web. They have these stories of, of the girls that came before them. So hopefully that helps. Hopefully that helps. You know, I would like to think so, too, because we just didn't have that information. We, have we that were information. young and dumb and ready to play. You know, I, I think that. Anand had so much for support from his family, and they really went in. They were doing, like, candlelight vigils to support him. I mean, like, they were really trying to make him out to be the victim. And I think it is really, really, Anand is such a, a victim. Anand, if he's a victim of anything, he's a victim of the time. He's a victim of the time he became famous and the lifestyle he became famous for. Because he didn't see himself as a predator. He saw himself as this fun-loving guy, and I have this great life, and I'm inviting these girls to come and either be in my show or not be in my show. He didn't know he was a sexual predator. I think he was. I think that a lot of people think he was. He didn't see himself that way, and we didn't know that word. I personally did not know that word in the 90s, sexual predator. I don't think I did either. I, I don't think a lot of us did, and, 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 and I think he got caught in that. He is the poster child for that. His trial, became, uh, his trial started in two, September of 2008, so a year before, you're filming your own TV show. You're on America's Next Model. You're, Things really turn. The magazines are calling you the hottest designer, and within a year, you are suddenly on trial with 49 charges all across the country. How did it break? How did he end up there? One of the girls, just one one girl came came out. The first girl came out. As rapid as his rise was in the fashion industry, his success quickly ended when he was arrested in March of 2007, which again, March of 2007, so early 2007, he had... Right, he was... Yeah, like yeah, January, January and February, he's like doing America's Next Top Model, or right. maybe he taped it's that in... fashion shows. And... In 2006, and next thing you know, you're, you're arrested. And obviously, again, like we talk about, the case doesn't happen immediately. You know, like you get charged and then they've got to build the case from you. So he's probably thinking this is all going to go away. I'm fabulous. I'm innocent. His sister's starting, you know, they're keeping it hush hush for a while as long as they can. The media wasn't like it was. And one, he was charged with one count of rape and many counts of lesser sexual offenses by that point. So then it started to grow. And as the story started to get out there on MySpace, I, I just giggle when I say MySpace because it feels so old fashioned. I never went on MySpace. I, I was too busy. Either. You and I were too busy. We too had busy. careers. I, I didn't have time for that crap. <laughs> and it wasn't necessary to our career. It didn't Again, there were predators on there. There were people that were using it in a bad way. I wasn't going on there. I was calling the agency. 
Me too. <laughs> I was doing interviews. I was working like crazy then, so I didn't have time for all that. So, you know, really, it just took one voice. One girl knew the right person, and she knew how to do it, and, and she pushed the button, and his world crumbled. All those sequins and fairy dust was done. He goes on trial. His trial went on for a very, very long time. Um, interesting. Included in these efforts were public protests, candlelight vigils in New York, India, and Los Angeles, where supporters pronounced his innocence and made a, a poster entitled Prostitutes for the Prosecution. Could you imagine? You couldn't even get away with that. That's victim shaming. We call that victim shaming now. And, and you can't do that. You know, everybody has a right to tell their story. You're innocent. He's innocent until proven guilty, which, again, I think that pendulum has gone completely the other way. Yeah. The minute someone's accused now, they're, they're fired. They're, yeah. I mean, look at look at Governor Cuomo. I mean, just look at everybody. And I'm not saying anybody's innocent. I'm just saying the scary thing they don't now wait to is see if they're innocent. the minute somebody accuses you now, your shit is fucked up. You know, you are called out and you lose your job and... The pendulum has gone so the opposite direction, but I am completely behind no victim shaming. I don't think the victims should be shamed, calling them prostitutes. You don't know what anybody's story is, and we don't know what it is. So as, as the victims, I believe, I have a right, I, I believe that people shouldn't be losing their careers until after the trial. Then fire them, you know I mean? But until that happens... It's really sad, but I, I think companies just don't want to take a chance. You know, it's all about the money. Image, yeah. You know, interesting, a very big friend of mine just got fired recently from a huge, huge, huge makeup company. And it's really sad. I mean, this person has been with that company for years. They have done so much for diversity and inclusion. A lot for diversity. And I mean, yes. people don't even know. And to go on, on Instagram and just see... The hatred, and these people don't even know. This person gave black people makeup campaigns when when boardrooms weren't even looking at black people for things like or that. Or transsexuals. And, and transsexuals and cross-dressers. Cross and I mean, the thing, yes. I'm, I'm not going to say the name because I'm just not going to get into it right now. But I just ask people out there to really think about what you're doing. Know the story. Know what the person really did in their life. Not what you think you know. Not the accusations that you think you know. And just stop hating people because I you think, think the they did something. I think it's the anonymity of today that you're, you could say things and you don't have to say it face to face. You're, I literally posted a heart on that person's page on somebody else's comment about them because I felt what the person said was right. This person said, you brought diversity to boardrooms when corporations didn't speak about this. You brought, you know, you never were racist. You helped charities for, for black and, and brown and, and people of all ethnicities. You have had inclusion in your whole life. And, and this is a shame. And I just put a heart there. I just put a heart because I, I, I felt that. And I got bombarded today by people saying, you racist. Blah, blah, blah. And it's so fascinating. You don't know what I've done my whole life. You don't know what I've done in my career. And you don't know what this person did in their career. And it's really sad that people can just victim shame or, or blame, throw blame at people for one bad post or, or what are stories they don't know. People yeah, have very, a whole life. Very small margin of error in yeah. today's society. And, and there's no forgiving and there's no hate. You, you know, there's so much hate. There's so much animosity and hate. Uh, I think there's been so much racism in the world. And absolutely. But don't don't hurt the people that have been your ally for 30 years. That's the fascinating thing. Just because somebody is white now and they are white and they're a man and they're 60, suddenly they're evil and they're the bad doer. Know your history. I, I, I really, I think you have to know your history. And victim shaming is not right, but you can't, you can't jump on somebody until you so know. So you their feel whole story. Adnan was doing that. His family was. Victim I shaming. think they were victim shaming. I think they really went out there, and they, they were. They no, no prostitutes, prostitutes for the prosecution. Like these girls weren't prostitutes. They weren't charging him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's know what prostitution is. Like, let's, you know, they're saying that they were being paid. Well, who was paying them to come out and say this stuff? Like, the prosecution wasn't paying witnesses to come out and say he was guilty. The prosecution doesn't have a, a reason. There's no, there's no reason for them to be trying to build a case against someone. And they were trying to build this whole thing that it was racist. They tried that route, that the girls were prostitutes. It was really, really a messy, messy trial. 
Anand never took the stand, which I think is fascinating when someone doesn't take the stand. I'm not sure why he didn't, but he did not take the stand in his own Yeah, defense. because you were saying he was so sexy and, you know, sweet. And and really so charismatic, and he really knew how to charm you. Well, nine victims, nine of his alleged victims. There's always a reason victims, somebody doesn't take the stand. Absolutely. Well, nine of his Whatever alleged victims was. spoke out against him, and especially, I think, I think they got a lot of backlash on the hating, on the, on the victim shaming. And again, that word didn't exist then. And I don't even think it came from then. I think victim shaming came a little later. later. But but this was the, the birth of it. Among the evidence pre- presented at trial was a brag sheet that Anand kept of his young conquests based on geographic location and sexual acts performed as well as a graphic video of a 17-year-old model being sexually assaulted on camera. Well, that's like that's like murderers who get caught up because they write a journal about killing somebody. I mean, what does it take to write a journal or have a brag sheet about hurting somebody? I'm like how cold and callous that you need to, it's, there's something in the ego there that like some, some deviant satisfaction from this brag sheet. Would he go check it and see, Oh, I'm missing somebody from Ohio. (laughs) You know I mean? Like, what is that? And that he kept the geographic location and the, and their sexual, Pleasures. I mean, this is really, and then the videoing. I, I mean, I think I already know the answer, but t- did you ever, ever, ever? In- I have spent my entire life not being photographed naked and not doing videos of of sex. I've had boyfriends for years that've been like, "Baby, let's make a video." Oh hell no! Right? My my mother always said, it, "Whatever you whatever you shoot, whatever pictures you take, remember your father might see them." And there you go. Even, even, even these days, you know, somewhere. And I, I literally, when I look at these OnlyFans things, and I just think, I'm a model. Check me out on OnlyFans. And there, you're like, you're not modeling. You're jerking off. Like that's not modeling. Like let's not get this. That's why you know we often have the conversation about real models or what what is actually going on these days and who calls themselves a model. So got to be a real model on our show. So what happened to Arnon? The prosecution complained. You know, the prosecution claimed that the victims all had unique stories and yet they were all the same, same factors story. no matter where they were. Mm-hmm. And of course, the defense argument was that there was proof of unfounded presenting evidence of hundreds of online exchanges that took place via MySpace between the, the, the victims, showing they may have corroborated their stories for some financial gain. To add to the craziness of the case, a juror was charged with misconduct after it was determined that they had reached out to Nan's sister during the trial. This was a really messy trial. There were a lot of people. There were a lot of accusations. Right, a lot being of tentacles cur- in here, like uh, little offshoots of what was happening besides the real story. Yeah, and I don't know what, what the juror would have reached out to his sister about. How weird is that? Like, I, and female I don't know what was said in that juror, conversation. You know? uh, female sorry? or male juror? I don't know. It didn't. It didn't say. And I, I really, I tried to dig into that a little more. And their, their, their uh, identities are kept of secret. Of course. Okay. Yeah. So it, it was hard to find out. Anand's case. Yes, but can, you have ways of finding things out. Phil, I do. I, I know somebody somewhere, and I'm not done with this. <laughs> Anand's case ended in November 2008. So that that. Took a minute to get to get around with a guilty verdict of the 49 charges he was originally faced with. He was found guilty of 14 felonies and two misdemeanors against seven of the nine women, as well as multiple lewd acts and three felonies on other models. That is a lot. Let me read that again. I really want to read that again, because I think, you know, we talk about victim shaming. We talk about people not being guilty until they're found guilty. He was found guilty of. Of the 49 charges, he was found guilty of 14 felonies, two misdemeanors against seven of the nine women, seven of the nine women. I don't care if it was just one of the nine women, seven of the nine women, as well as multiple lewd acts and three felonies on other models. Wow. I just, my heart just skips a beat when I when I hear that. It really, that's a lot. That's really, really a lot. And to to be victim shaming and, and maintaining your innocence, I just don't know where people's integrity comes in. And where do you just shut the fuck up and man up and bitch, you did it, take it and do your time. Well, I, he's I, appealing. I, he's, he's appealing. Oh, absolutely. More than half of the counts were dismissed and he was acquitted of six counts. <laughs> Let me say it again. 14 felonies, two misdemeanors, seven of the nine women, and multiple lewd acts and three felonies of other models. I don't care how many went went away. That is a lot of guilty. That is a lot, a lot of guilty right that there. Is. That is a lot of women's lives that are changed forever. 
you are never the same never the after same. a sec. The PTSD. Carrie's going to come on our next group of of, of a podcast, and she's going to talk about this. And I, she and I, that's going to be a couple hours, that interview, because I can speak to it, but I'm not going to go into it all here. But your life is never the same. The PTSD you suffer, the trauma that you suffer from sexual harassment, sexual sexual rape, and rape, really, literally rape, being drugged. I mean, I'm not going to go into it here. I'm going to wait till Carrie comes on, but you never get over it. It changes your life forever. As I sit here today, it touches me maybe just a little differently because I, I've been through it. And 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 I, I, I feel it deeply and... and it hurts. He was ultimately convicted of the crimes and sentenced to 59 years. 59 years. Basically a life sentence. Absolutely. Absolutely. When you're, when you're what, 30 years old or 31 years old, that's he'd be 89 before he gets out. I'm sure he'll be eligible for parole before that, but wow. So let's have a little update on this case. So since the trial, Anand has continued to claim his innocence and fight his conviction. Bro, really. His defense claims that he is a victim of racial injustice and that his sentence he received, it was disproportionate to normal cases with the same allegations with very minimal evidence of the the crimes. I'm not even going to comment on that. He was since assembled a team of individuals that believe in and fight for his innocence and have progressed his case to the federal district court in an effort to overturn his convictions in California. Let's not talk about New York and Texas, which are still ongoing. Anam was also faced similar charges in New York and Texas. His team, his support team was able to successfully resolve those cases, though. His team was able to resolve those cases. What does that mean? Often financial. Often financial. You pay people to shut up and go away. And at a certain point, I don't think anybody really wants to go through a trial. I think you just want some kind of a, a justice and a vindication and to feel that you've been heard. I think most victims want to be heard. Acknowledgement. Acknowledgement that this happened and, and they want some form of justice. And I think at a certain point when you start to see this victim shaming and you don't want to be a part of that, when, when anything says it was resolved... In, in a case, it usually means there was a financial agreement that everybody would, would step away. In 2017, he spoke out about his case in a book he wrote about his wrongful conviction and racial targeting, and nobody bought that book. In an interview with Page Six, he told a former acquaintance, what I did is absolutely immoral, but not illegal. I had a lot of sex, but it was not illegal. Everyone was over 17. Oh, except that one girl who lied about her age. Oh, well, so it's her fault because she lied about her age. In 2019, justice perhaps was served. Sometimes people take things into their own hands. In jail, he was brutally attacked. And again, this is someone I was friends with, and this this disturbs me. This this is very this sad. disturbs me, too. He was a really handsome guy. Vigilante justice just isn't right just either. Just isn't right either. This is, yeah. this is a case of, like, wrong after wrong after wrong. Like, I, I just, I, I can't tell who's right and who's and wrong. Turns, so yes. many twists and turns, and I just can't tell, I can't even begin to tell you who's right and who's wrong because there's so many twists and turns. He was brutally attacked in jail, stabbed in his face, his right eye, five oh. facial fractures, as well as other injuries. He scarred for life. There is no good plastic surgeon in jail that is going to fix your face. Let's just be really clear about that. And for someone who fame and fortune came from their good looks and swarthy, you know, sex appeal, it's a brutal blow. It's a brutal blow. <laughs> and interesting, he is he's actively suing the state of California because of the inmates that attacked him. And he they should not have been in the area that he was in at the time of the attack. Funny how those things happen in jail. There's a whole nother justice system in jail, and it's not necessarily based on justice. It's based on revenge. And last but not least, for protection, this is kind of the ironic twist to this whole story. Like, I think the fascinating thing about these cases is just the twists and turns they take. For protection, he was moved to another wing of the prison where the infamous Menendez brothers are. They were also housed, and ultimately they have become friends. So Anna and John and the Menendez brothers are homeboys now in jail. Anon refers to Lyle and Eric as his buddies. The Menendez brothers who killed their parents, their rich parents, because they weren't giving them enough. Poor Kitty, their mother's name was Kitty. I don't know how I remember that, but they killed their parents because they weren't giving them a big enough allowance or whatever it was. Like, they killed their parents. So Anand and Lyle and Eric are, are buddies. There is a happy ending. There's love in, in jail, I guess. Finding new friends. Well, he actually, um, Anand has people in his corner. Absolutely. His family is dedicated to continuing to 
proof right. his innocence. The They're foundation. not giving up. Absolutely. I, you know, he has a lot of love and he has a lot of hate. You know, I mean, this is just such a mixed bag. And I think people just really have to think about what they're doing in life. Like you have to think about what you're doing to someone else. I, I think so many of these cases are so wrapped up in someone's self thing. They're just thinking about themselves. They're just thinking about that moment. They are. There's just no consciousness and there's no thought of repercussions. I think I think what has saved us from a life of debauchery is I have a conscience and we we think you and I think even in my worst days, I think, well, it's three o'clock in the morning. Maybe I shouldn't go there. And then I'd say, oh, hell, I'm going to go have fun. But I made the decision. I made the decision. And you know what? I never blamed anyone. I never regretted the decision to go home. I, 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 <laughs> you never regretted the decision to go home. I never re- regretted the decision to go out. And I never blamed anyone. I may have since found out it was the wrong decision. But you've got to be careful in this world. You never know who you can trust. And I think that is part of So the wrap-up of this is... As of 2020, the American Justice Alliance organization has been working to bring attention to and create public awareness of Anand's case. Okay. The head of the foundation, Jeffrey Deskovic, who is himself an exoneree, states that Anand's case shows evidence of poor defense team and misconduct on the side of the prosecution. Blame, 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 blame. This is one of those cases it's never going to be resolved because there's just too many people in too many cases. And additional members of his team state that there was a misconduct on the part of the Beverly Hills Police Department, including favorable evidence that they have admitted to possessing but cannot produce after being court-ordered. Good luck. And Anjan, God bless you. I hope he has found somewhere in his heart to really take accountability for what he has done and stop blaming other people. I think the whole point of people being sentenced in his jail is to think about your crimes and to it somewhere in that time, take responsibility for what you have done wrong. Stop blaming everybody else. Don't worry about what everybody else did wrong. Worry about yourself. And young girls, don't believe everything you see. Fame, fortune, being a model is not going to make and your life better. And never go anywhere better. alone. And never Buddy go anywhere system. alone. Always bring a couple buddies along. And keep that video camera running because you never know where you're going to need evidence. I think that's really the the, the answer. Like, you know, you got to tape everything these days. Get it on video and then at least you own it and he doesn't own the video of you. Well, that is an incredible story of living the dream that turns into a nightmare. And unfortunately, as Anan was living his dream, he turned many, many, many young ladies' lives into a nightmare. It was really sad the way that story unfolded. And, you know, I think the court system was right, 57 years in jail. But it's so sad how he was attacked in jail and disfigured. And, I mean, the justice system is not always the right justice or how we think justice should be served. Or is it fair? But I think in this case, justice was served, and you have to pay the price. Although times were different when these crimes were going on, they were still crimes. And it's so amazing in this time that, that people are not allowed to get away with, with taking advantage of others just because they're innocent or because of their ignorance or because they don't know, because they just don't know. And the justice system is very, very important, and and the ability for victims to be able to come forward and feel like they're not being shamed, and I think that was a big lesson we learned in this case. Anyway, I hope you will join us for our next episode of True Crime, Fashion and Passion. This one is going to be all about something fabulous and inspiring and all the passion that we have in fashion.